past Monday, Memorial Day, as we were celebrating the freedoms that we have because of men and women that laid their lives down in, in uh, duty to our country, most of the news outlets in the United States were fixated on a gorilla that had to be put down. There was very little talk about 700 refugees that drowned on the coast, off the coast of Africa. It really goes to show you how twisted our world is. 700, largely, women and children drown. Barely a blip on the screen. But everyone still, days and days later, are talking about a gorilla that had to be put down. One of the things that we've learned in this series, week number five, in our Silent No More, is there's some real major issues that we're facing in the world today, in our nation today, and we just can't be silent about these things anymore. We, we can't just look the other way, as we've looked at in the Scripture, the story of the Good Samaritan, even recently in our series. And, and so in our time together, as we conclude this series, I want to do a little review of where we've been, but I also want to talk about what is a major, major issue, and it's all throughout Scripture, and that is the refugee crisis in our world today. And it's not a political issue, although it's been made to be one. It's a biblical issue. It's a humanitarian issue. It's an issue that matters to God. And it matters to His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Just as we saw that video put together by World Vision, it's a huge, huge problem in our world today. But before we look at this idea that really we are the world, and yes, you can kind of start the music, there's a lot of truth in that statement from that hit song in the 1980s. And I'm, I guess I'm just kind of feeling a little bit nostalgic uh, coming up on my 30-year reunion uh, from graduation from high school. And also, my baby girl, Sophia, is graduating from high school on Saturday morning. And so uh, uh, that, that song, We Are the World, came out my junior year in high school. And back when I had a little bit higher pitch voice, I actually could imitate all the voices in the entire, uh, in the entire song. And I'm, I'm not going to do it now because you'd say, he's bragging, he's bragging, you know, something like that. But uh, uh, it, it really made a huge difference in the fight for AIDS. Not only that, there were a number of causes that were spun off of that whole recording of We Are the World. In fact, uh, Willie Nelson was on that recording. Uh, and he actually leaned over and he mentioned to Bob Dylan, you know, there seems like there should be something we can do in the United States like this. And that's what inspired him to start Farm Aid, which continues to this day. And, and so there's this recognition, you know, that what happens on the other side of the world, it, it should matter to us. Particularly as followers of Jesus Christ, it should matter to us a great, great deal. And so especially with this issue of refugees so just quickly, though, as we look back over our series, week number one, we learned that when we see ourselves as God sees us, then we can become what it is that he wants us to become. That was week number one. Week number two, we had a guest speaker, Josh Lipscomb, and uh, he so eloquently put, uh, put it this way, doing nothing risky is riskier than doing something risky. Just doing absolutely nothing is actually riskier than stepping out and taking a risk. And then week number three, we talked about compassion doesn't measure the worthiness. Does someone deserve my compassion? Compassion ministers. Doesn't, you know, is uh, someone earned this right for me to be compassionate or not? We're compassionate because God has shown us compassion. 
And he wants us not just to be uh, receivers of his compassion, but also distributors of his compassion as well. Last week we learned in the series, uh, week number four, as we looked at the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, compassion is your pain in my heart that moves me to action. And tonight I'll just give you kind of the summary already of where we're headed, and that is this. There is no them. There's only us. There is no them. It's only us. There, there is no those people. It's us. God has no plan B for this planet besides his children. That's it. And so uh, as we look at just a, a review of what's happened, it's been amazing uh, what's happened over the last few weeks uh, and, and the generosity and the hearts of the Valley family. It's almost been like you can almost just see them growing. Uh, and I think we've been stretched. Uh, week number one is we, we, we looked at the scripture and then we pointed to and highlighted and shined a light on Sparrow's Nest. We got the final number back. Sparrow's Nest here at that first week, actually 128 t-shirts were bought by the Valley family. A net of $1,400 went back into that charity, Sparrow's Nest, week number one. You did that, Valley family. you did that. Crazy generous. That was the net after the expenses of the actual shirt. And then we shined a light on Unshattered. And they had their their, uh, bags here and T-shirts here as well. Uh, Previous to this, I was informed the the highest single event they'd ever had was that they raised $1,500 for the Walter Hoving home in one single event. But but we, we did even more than that. And that one weekend, Unshattered raised $5,146 for the Walter Hoving Home. You did that, Valley family. You did that. $5,146 raised for the Walter Hoving Home. Absolutely mind-blowing. As we've just recognized, you know what? We need to do something. We need to help, and, and, and so many, we have, uh, I think, a list of 16, 17 people that came forward as we talked about the partnership uh, uh, that we're going to allow uh, uh, and, and have invited Unshattered to start using the building next door that we owned as their, really, their, their uh, production center, and, and we've had 15 or 16 skilled people that have come forward and say, hey, I want to help out with that project, and tile, and sheetrock, and, and all those things, and, and we're beginning to kind of get a, formulate a plan for that, absolutely amazing. And then last weekend, all through this uh, series, we've been collecting shoes, souls for souls, for those that don't have any shoes. And we've never done anything like this before, and so we set the goal of 400. You know, I talked to the staff, and I was like, you know what, 400, it seems like, you know, I I want it to be attainable, but I want us to be able to stretch 400 pair. Well, I want to say, Valley family, I severely underestimated your hearts. We didn't just collect 400 pairs. We collected 400 pairs of shoes just in Poughkeepsie last Sunday. The total was 2,065 pairs of shoes. 2,065 pairs of shoes. I think you ought to give yourselves a hand for that, Valley family. Now, I've noticed about half of you are barefoot tonight, but that's okay. But 2,000, I mean, just imagine if what the value is, if the value is just $10 per pair of shoes, that's $20,000. If the value is just $5, that's $10,000. Just absolutely amazing. 
And, and so I, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you, Valley family. It's just blown away every expectation we possibly could have had for this series. And every May, we're going to shine a light on compassion. Uh, from now on, May is going to be our compassion month. And although we're in June, I, I really felt compelled to talk about this issue of the global refugee crisis that's going on all around us. And, and as I said before, it's, it's become a real political issue and the politicians have never solved this, and they're never going to. But, but I think God is not looking at the government. I think God's looking to his people. Are you going to do anything? What are you going to do that's going to make a difference? Let me give you some pretty staggering statistics that I came across. And, and just see if all of a sudden you don't feel the Spirit of God inside of you starts talking in your heart. There are now more refugees in the world than at any other time in recorded human history. In 2016. More than half of these refugees are children. More than half. And so that video that you saw as we opened up the, the message, that wasn't just, let's just show the kids so it really gets people. 50% of the refugees are kids. 50% of the refugees are kids. The, Syri uh, the Syrian refugee crisis is the greatest forced migration of people since World War II. Going on in 2016. Nearly 12 million Syrians have fled their homes because of the conflict. Now think about this. See if you can wrap your head around this. This would be the equivalent of the entire population of both New York City and Los, Los Angeles forced to pack up and leave. That's what's happened. Imagine that you went down to New York City and didn't see another living soul. And then you got on a plane, flew to Los Angeles, you got off, not a soul. That's what's happened right now in our world. Children affected by the Syrian conflict are at risk of becoming a lost generation, facing threats of early marriage, child labor, and recruitment into armed groups and militia. Assistance in critical areas like food has been cut again and again due to lack of funding. This is forcing refugees to make increasingly difficult decisions as they run out of options, driving many to flee into Europe. And Europe is being just completely overrun by refugees right now. A absolutely just a flood. Looking for food and shelter just to survive. So I, I think there are three points that, that I want to make in our time together as we talk about this. Three biblical points. And, uh, and, and I think these may be real eye-opening to, to many of us and if we had any questions about is this a political issue or not, I think we're going to just dismiss that and go, no, this is a biblical issue. This issue, the refugee crisis that's going on in the world today. Uh, first of all, the, the first point is this. God often uses the movement of people for his purposes. Throughout history, God has often used the movement of people to accomplish what it is that he really wanted to accomplish give you one great example from church history uh, in the early life 
of the church in the book of Acts. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 8. It talks about persecution coming on the church, the, the, the birth of the Christian church. And it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Everyone was huddled there together in Jerusalem. No one was leaving. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Why? Because persecution came upon the church. But look at what they did. As they were scattered, it goes on and says in verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. And they stayed in Jerusalem and didn't move until persecution came. And then they started to spread out. And they didn't just spread out. They spread out and they preached wherever they went. So God often uses, and this is just one example in the Bible, you can look at the Babylonian captivity, all the different uh, captivities in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel went into, and time and time and time again, people moving, huge groups of people moving, and God using those movements to bring about his plan and his purpose. So God often uses the movement of people for his purposes. Here, here's the second thing, and this is, this you may not have ever thought about this before, Jesus was a refugee. Our Lord and Savior was a refugee. Not metaphorically, but literally. He was a refugee. Herod wanted to kill him when he heard that a king had been born to the Jews and sought to wipe out all the, the boys, the baby boys that had been born. And right after, in the, uh, what is normally known as a Christmas account, the birth of Jesus Christ, when the wise men came uh, to honor him, right after that, it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, when they had gone, talking about the wise men, not the wise guys, the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Mary and Joseph and Jesus were refugees in Egypt. They were refugees in Egypt. So Jesus not only, could I put it this way, has some skin in the game as our Lord and Savior, He's experienced what it means to be a refugee. So did Mary. And so did Joseph as well. Then here's the third point about the refugee crisis that I think is particularly pertinent for us. We really just take a step back and look at it from God's point of view. Every one of us, we're all sojourners. Every one of us is really a sojourner. Every one of us is just passing through this planet called Earth. It's not our final home. As Carrie Underwood saying, it's just our temporary home. This is not where we belong. In fact, pretty interesting story. She wrote that song, Temporary Home, after reading Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. That's exactly what it says there, and it's based on Scripture. This is, this is just temporary, everything that we see. 
What's really permanent is eternity. And so really, we're all sojourners. Even though you can't find the word refugee translated from Hebrew or translated from Greek into English in the Bible, the, the whole idea and the concept is that as God's children, we're refugees. We're sojourners. What is a sojourner? Sojourner literally means to stay or reside temporarily. That's the definition of a sojourner. And that's what we are. We're sojourners. We're just temporarily residing here. Very temporarily. Just passing through. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. It gives us this idea. It says, but we are citizens, where? Of earth? No, of heaven. We're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. You were built for eternity. You were created for eternity. I was too. And so our citizenship is in heaven when we've received the King of heaven. Jesus Christ is our Savior. And so we're just aliens here on this planet. We're just passing through. Citizens of heaven. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is often referred to as the uh, hall of faith, it talks about great men and women that had tr great faith in God and, and what God did in and through their lives as a result of their faith. It kind of gives the framework for why they had such great faith. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 13 and 14 and, and 16 puts it this way. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. All these men and women that, that God says are just heroes of the faith, they saw something that was greater than just life on earth. They realized they're just nomads, just passing through, that this is just a temporary place. I mean, think about it. What's the average lifespan still today in our world? In, in America, 75, 78? Hasn't changed much at all, even with all kinds of technological breakthroughs and health things. Hadn't changed much. What, what, what is 80? Call it 80. What is 80 years compared to 150 billion years? An eternity still hasn't even come close to winding down at that point. Still going on. And so these men and women of great faith, they saw themselves on this earth as foreigners, as nomads. It goes on and it actually says, obviously people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. They were looking for something greater than just life here on earth. And it goes on, it says in verse 16, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That was their perspective. Because they had that perspective, that focus in their life, that this is not the end here on earth, that there's a heavenly homeland that God is molding and shaping each and every one of us for. Do you know what happened? God was able to do incredible things in and through their lives. 
because they had the eyes of faith. Not just what they could see with their natural eyes, but they were looking for a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And he's preparing a city for you too. And for me as well. And he wants us to recognize this is just temporary. What we do in this life echoes through all of eternity. It doesn't mean it's insignificant. What it means is this is not the final stop. And so we need to see everything in this life from a much different perspective than just me and mine, but from God's heavenly perspective instead. We're all refugees in a land to which we don't ultimately belong here on earth. We're citizens of a kingdom whose king is God. In fact, the, the, the Greek word, uh, when it talks about nomads and foreigners, the, the Greek word that's used there in Hebrews chapter 11 is the Greek word metakorkos, and it actually means resident aliens. It actually means a, a, a foreigner who's just put down for a temporary time in a temporary spot and then moves on. And that's what the Bible says you and I are. We're resident aliens. We're just here for a short time. And then God moves us on into eternity. And so these three things, I think, really bring to bear, and, and, and I had to trim down the list. I initially started with 10, but I was like, there's no way we're going to get through this. But just these three points, I, I think when, when we hear reports on the news, we need to see them through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of God. And he's saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Greg? What are you going to do about the refugees? And, and, and I know politically the opinions are different in terms of allowing some to come into this country. And I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about those that are starving and dying right now in the next 24 hours. What are we going to do about that? I, I don't think we can be like the parable of the Good Samaritan that we looked at last week with the high priest and the religious man who saw the man dying, beaten, and bloodied and just walked on by and ignored him. I, I don't think God lets us off the hook like that. Even if we change the channel, I, I don't think we're off the hook. And Greg, you're really kind of hammering that nail pretty hard. Why, why would you say that? Why would you do that? Because I just believe Jesus meant what he said and he said what he meant. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus had some very, very pointed words for his followers. And he said, this is the way that it's going to look. Just give you the background for this is the what This is what's going to happen when I return to the planet to make everything right again. He said, people are going to be divided into two different kinds of two different groups. He actually says some are going to be righteous, some are going to be unrighteous. Some are going to be the sheep, some are going to be the goats. Another place he said some's going to be the wheat, some are going to be the tares. Over and over again he talks there's two different kinds of people. And then he says these words which really ring in my ears when I think about this global refugee crisis. 
speaking of himself, Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, when he returns, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. See, it's Jesus who's talking about himself. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And then he says, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in to your home. And then he goes on and says, I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then he goes on and he says, Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Goes on and says, Or a stranger and showed you hospitality. Or naked and we give you clothing. Then he says, When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The righteous are like, we don't remember doing that to you, Jesus. Then the Bible says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. <laughs> Jesus says, I was a refugee. I had to run for my life. My parents had to take me to escape from Egypt. You, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, and don't get hung up on that, brothers and sisters. It's the same idea as we asked the question, the, the religious leader, who's my neighbor? Anyone in need. Anyone in need. That's what Jesus is talking about. Everything in me wishes he would have stopped talking right there. <laughs> but he didn't. Verse 41 says, And then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Let me just stop right there and make a point which I think is very, very important to be made in this statement. It is not God's desire that anyone spend eternity separated from him. That's not his desire. People choose that on their own. Jesus made it abundantly clear. Hell is not created for human beings, although they choose to go there. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. That's who it's intended for. But when anyone rejects Jesus, that's what they choose instead of him. That's Jesus' words, not mine. And he still didn't stop talking. He kept on talking. He said, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. He goes on and says, I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. 
I was sick and in prison, and you never once visited me. And he goes on and says, and then they reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and, and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, whenever you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. Verse 46, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. It seems like Jesus is saying, when you become aware of people that need help, I expect you to help. Do something. You just cannot look the other way and do nothing. Susie and I, for a number of years, we, we have uh, probably, goodness, I think there's five different kids that we have supported through World Vision, adopt a child <laughs> over the years. And, and it was back about four months ago, five months ago, where we received some literature from World Vision about what they're doing to help with this refugee crisis. We right now, uh, as I said, Sophia's graduating from high school on Saturday, but we've already started paying for her college tuition, three college tuition payments. We don't have any money to spare. No pocket change has around. Susie came to me, she said, honey, read this. I began reading about the refugee crisis, things that I wasn't aware of that's not on the nightly news or in the newspaper or on, even online. And I looked at her and I said, I know, we've got to do something, don't we? And she said, we've got to do something. We just can't sit here and do nothing. And so we have two sons that we've adopted that we send monthly support to. We pinch the pennies even tighter. What are we going to go without? In order to be able to stand before God and say, during our lifetime, that refugee crisis, we did something. We did something. B because I, I want to ask Jesus that question one day. Lord, when did we ever clothe you? When did we ever feed you? When did I see a need that you had and, and I met that need? And more than anything, I want to hear my Lord say, when you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. None of us can solve it by ourselves, but we can all do something. Just something. Matthew here in, in this gospel, Matthew chapter 25, he's not telling us that uh, based on what we do, if we do good things, we're going to get to heaven. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, the words of Jesus here are actually telling us that when we have faith in Christ, actions come out of that faith. When we say we have faith and there's no actions that correspond to it, it's really not faith at all. Faith is always accompanied by action, love, compassion. These are verbs, not just feelings and emotions. 
I know it's a big puzzle. <laughs> it's hard to figure out how's it going to get solved. I don't know that I have the intellect to give you that answer. But what I do know is this, each one of us can do something. Just something. I love what C.S. Lewis put it. He said it this way. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. And I think when it comes right down to it, that's the rub, isn't it? We feel like we can't do anything because all we see is this right here in front of us. Instead of, this is so temporary. You're just passing through. Eternity is hanging in the balance. And what we do here in this life, it echoes and it goes on and on and on for all eternity. And so, summarizing this series, summarizing this message, we are the world. When they hurt, even on the other side of the world, we should feel that pain in our hearts as well. And it should move us to action. And so this is how I would summarize this series, Silent No More. There is no them. There's only us. There is no them. There's only us. And that's not something I came up with. That's the song we've been playing on the countdown leading up to the start of the service for the last few weeks by U2 called Invisible. That's the, the chorus. There is no them. There's only us. And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. When you ignore and you turn and you walk away, Jesus says, you ignored me and you walked away from me. This is the time in the, in the message that normally I would close in prayer, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something different instead. I, I'd like to invite a, a Syrian refugee to pray for us. And so I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head and close your eyes while we show this video of this Syrian refugee praying for this crisis, global crisis of refugees. Lord, we don't understand what is going on in the Middle East. We come to you and we plead with you to be merciful, to guide us, to help us, not to despair, to help us see what we can do, even if it is something small in order to meet this tremendous challenge that is in front of us. We pray for everyone who is involved to alleviate suffering among the refugees. Lord, we want to believe that things are not out of your control. You have your own loving purposes and we pray that somehow you may draw some good out of all this evil. We pray for the sake of your kingdom and in 
Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. At the end of our gathering, we're going to give you an opportunity uh, with World Vision. There's a lot of other organizations, uh, but, but that you can go online and you can just see what they're doing. And, and I just encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting them. Uh, we're not receiving an offering for them specifically. That's not what the offering is about tonight. Because I think it'd be better for us individually to respond so that we can really fulfill those words that Jesus said, when you did it not, or when you did it to the least of these, my brothers or sisters, you did it to me. And now we'll have our offering. Thank you.